Welcome to Roots Radio, weekly high school Bible studies located at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. You turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to finish the book of 2 Corinthians tonight. We've been studying through 2 Corinthians together on Wednesday nights. And uh, next, next week, we'll see what book we end up in. And uh, we'll see what Andrew decides to, to choose for that. But um, is it going to be Exodus? The book of Exodus. Back to the Old Testament, baby. On, uh, on Wednesday nights. So uh, continue to come on out for that. But 2 Corinthians 13 tonight is where we're going to be. And uh, last week, Jeremy taught on <laughs> chapters 11 and 12. And um, just looking um, there, again, what Paul is saying to the church there in Corinth. And if you haven't been with us um, throughout this, this season of going through 2 Corinthians, um, 2 Cor- uh, Cor- Corinth at that time, and in that area, once again, it's, it's this place of wealth and commerce that um, Paul planted the church on one of his missionary journeys. And, and for him, he's just riding from prison to the Corinthians. And uh, it's, it's out of love, but it, it's very, First and Second Corinthians are really heavy books in the sense that Paul is writing um, with the intent of, um, of telling them, hey, like you need to repent of these certain things, these, these key things within your life that um, really it's, it's sin. And so tonight, finishing up the chapter, uh, finishing up the book rather, uh, beginning in verse 1, it says this. It says, this will be the third time I'm coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. I will not spare since you seek a proof for, uh, of Christ speaking in me who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. Verse 4, for though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. And let's pray together before we get started. Lord, we come before you now, God, and we ask, Lord, that you would uh, really, God, you just show up, Lord, in this place, Lord, that uh, your word says we're two or or three um, are gathered, Lord, you are there in the midst, Lord. So we just ask, Lord, that your presence, Lord, would fill this place, God. We just pray for uh, your Holy Spirit, Lord, to be upon um, the things that I say, God, that would be um, directly from you, Lord, to um, your people this evening, God. And so, Lord, we, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, open up our hearts, Lord, open up our ears, Lord, just, just to hear, Lord, what you would have to say to us, Jesus. And, and uh, Lord, we love you, and uh, speak to us now, God. We thank you, God, for your presence. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. So Paul opens up in chapter 13 here, and he says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. You notice that in verse 1. He says, this will be the third time that I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established, as it says there in verse 1. He says that his first visit, that was one witness. His second visit, and that was the second witness. And then his third visit, uh, that's my third witness is what he's saying. And, and he says, in this sense, I'm ready to decide the case now. In case meaning, ba- basically what Paul is saying now is that he, he's coming as a judge. He, he has written, he's, he's pleaded um, as a loving father to the Corinthian Christians at this point. He says, hey, I love you guys. 
Um, there's sin in your lives. And so I'm asking you to repent of these things so I don't have to come and then rebuke you. And so we're going to see in this chapter that this is what Paul, the, the theme in that he's speaking. He's speaking once again on his authority, as we saw in the previous chapters, 10 through now 13, his uh, his authority was questioned by the Corinthian Christians there. And so Paul, once again, is just hammering the fact that, hey, I'm the Lord's, I'm saved, <laughs> and, and the Lord has given me authority, um, one, in planning this church in Corinth, and then as well, man, to speak into your, lo- uh, your lives as a loving father. And so once again, his first visit, his second visit, now this being his third visit, is now he's going to come as a judge to the Corinthian Christians there in Corinth. And Paul says that I've, basically what he's saying is that I've got the evidence now and I'm ready to make a judgment. So he sees and he's, he's examined their lives. And so, and he says, I, I have enough evidence to write that, and check this out what it says. It says in verse two, he says, I will not spare. I thought that was very interesting. I will not spare. He said, I have enough evidence to write that I will not spare. Paul basically says that I, I'm not, I'm not going to hold back. And the things that I'm saying to you and the things when I visit you, I'm not going to hold back. Why? Because I love you, and as a, as a father loves his kids, he disciplines them, and, and just, what Paul's saying is, you know, I'm going to point you to Jesus. I love you, but I'm going to, I'm going to be stern in the way that I speak to you. So Paul says that I'm not going to hold back. Notice the, those words, and again, in verse 2, it says, I will not spare. The situation among the Corinthian Christians called for strong leadership. That's what they wanted, and so Paul is going to basically give that to them. Paul says, if, if you don't respond to the instruction that I'm giving you, then I, I really, I have to become like a judge in this scenario. Um, and I want to point this out that basically there's something very wrong when authority is not respected. And we see that here with the Corinthian Christians. They're not respecting Paul's authority whatsoever. We've seen in chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, Paul kind of gets sarcastic with them. Um, chapter 13, we're going to see that, that Paul, he's, he's trying um, he's really trying to, to love these people and to point them to Jesus and say, hey, this is, this is what you need to do. And, and, uh, but for these people, they, they, they really didn't respect Paul's authority. They didn't respect who he was as a man. Um, they made fun of the way that he looked, the way that he spoke. Um, they, they basically didn't respect his authority. And uh, for us, man, there, there's a danger in doing that, and not just within the church, but within the workplace, within the, uh, the home as well. In the workplace, man, respect your bosses. I, I remember for me, I worked at a restaurant. That was one of my first jobs. And my boss, he, he was such an interesting guy. Um, he's really, he's almost like bipolar. It was so strange. You'd be like on his good side one day, and the next day, like even within the same day, like you do one thing wrong, and you just... It snaps within them. Man, respect your bosses. Um, respect your coworkers as well. Um, when I worked in the restaurant, um, and then even other jobs, I worked at Costco for a little bit. Um, and there's there's some gnarly people that you work with, and they just the, their lifestyle and, and the things that they say that they don't really think about it. And um, but man, regardless of you know, the profane language that's coming out of their mouth, man, you should, you should love them. At the same time, there should be a respect for these people at the same time, not just flippantly um, casting them off or whatever. But man, um, the Lord has called us in the workplace to respect your bosses, respect your coworkers, and not only in the workplace, but also in the home. In the home, respect your parents, man, and respect your siblings as well. Um, that's a thing growing up for me that that was a hard thing. Um, for me, sometimes I can get 
sarcastic, and that's just how I kind of grew up in our family. Um, we, we like to joke with each other. Um, my dad's very sarcastic um, at times, and we just kind of, like even around the dinner table, it's hilarious. If you guys could just like sit on, on like a conversation, it's so funny around the dinner table. We're just, we're basically just dissing each other around the dinner table. It's like, it's, it's not necessarily good, but it's not necessarily bad, but I, we laugh. So, um, man, respect your parents. Respect your siblings, man. Be a blessing unto them. Serve them. And so that's what Paul's, basically, he's, he's saying that, man, there, you guys, you, you don't respect my authority in this way. And for us today, we need to be very careful of that same thing. Look at verse 3. Paul says, Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. What is he saying there? Notice that he says, Christ speaking in me. First thing, Christ, he says, Christ is speaking in me. This was the source of Paul's authority. Paul's authority wasn't, hey, I'm Paul, check me out. His authority was as a representative, as an ambassador, as he says throughout the, um, his letters. He was an ambassador, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. That was his authority that he could claim. Uh, for a pastor, this is the authority that um, he has, someone within leadership. It's the authority of God's word, and it's the authority of righteousness. Um, a pastor or a teacher is, uh, is there to speak forth God's word and uses God's authority in that way. Not only was it Christ speaking in him, in that Paul could say, this is where my authority comes from. It's Christ speaking through me to you by the Holy Spirit. But not only that, but he says, secondly, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me. I thought that was very interesting. The Corinthians, they wanted to see power and they wanted to see really a, a proof of a sign, some kind of miracle, so, um, not even necessarily a miracle, but some kind of just demonstration of power at that time. At that time, and we said this a couple weeks ago, in Corinth, there were these guys that spoke very eloquently, that spoke very um, powerfully, um, but they were just, they were hypocrites. They lived behind um, this facade of who they really were. And so Paul said, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to speak to you and, and who I am, who God's created me to be, and I'm not going to be fake. I'm going to be real with you. And this is what the Word of God says. For the Corinthian Christians, they wanted some kind of fluffy message that just basically um, condoned their sin, that just said, hey, like, you're, you're totally fine to stay where you're at. But Paul said, you know what? I'm going to preach what the Word of God says. I'm going to preach what Christ says. And for us as believers today, we need to do that same thing, man. For people that come into our lives, and, and uh, just the other day I was out in the water with a guy, and, and uh, he's a professional surfer, and, and, and it's just amazing and just to, to watch what, how the Lord's gifted this kid in this way. And um, he's like a couple years younger than me. And, and, um, but man, just like in sharing with people, being intentional with what we're saying to people. That's something that the Lord has been speaking to me so radically um, as of lately. Man, to be intentional with the time that we're given, because the Bible says that time's short, man. Time is short, and that we need to redeem the time that God has given us. Paul says, you want to see power, speaking to the Corinthians, you want to see power, I'll show you power. If you don't clean up your act, basically is what he's saying, you know, I'm going to show you power. I'm going to come and basically rebuke you. Paul was saying, the next time I come to you, you will see power in my rebuke as I basically just clean house. Paul's heart, again though, was not to be the bad guy or to be the bad cop in this situation and have to rebuke them. He wants them to clean up and repent. 
before he comes. And, and like any loving father, man, that's the desire, man. So he doesn't have to come and discipline them on behalf of what Christ has already said to them. And so Paul then kind of switches gears and he says in verse 4, he says, For though he, has cru- he was crucified in weakness, speaking of Christ, speaking of Jesus, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. And just as Jesus displayed weakness, but now reigns in power, so Paul appeared to be weak. So Paul is comparing really himself to Christ. And that's what we're going to see tonight, that there's this whole section where Paul just says, um, and it's in verse 5 where he says, just examine yourselves and see if you are Christ. And Paul, in his ultimately theme, his ultimate theme in this chapter is, man, compare yourself to Jesus. That's, that's what you compare yourself to. And so we're going to see that in the um, uh, later occurring verses. But Paul says uh, that he's going to come in power just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus is in his second coming, he's going to come to rule and reign, and he comes as judge over the earth. And what the Corinthians wanted to see, again, was some sort of outward demonstration of power. But Paul would not give this to them. Paul, you know, again, wasn't, his whole thing wasn't, uh, he wasn't trying to meet, uh, you know, their standards. His standards was, was Christ. And Paul doesn't want the Corinthians to look at him and, and esteem him because of his power. But uh, look in verse 5, what Paul wants them to do. And uh, if they would do this one thing, really, it would, it would change everything for them. Notice what it says in verse 5. It says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Heavy question. Unless indeed you are disqualified. Heavy statement. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. If the Corinthian Christians would just do that, man, that would change everything for them. Paul wants them all to ask, man, am I, am I really a Christian. The Corinthians were all into examining Paul. If you notice, and if you've been with us through the study, they were all um, just completely and constantly analyzing who Paul was as a person, his looks, the way he spoke. They were all into examining Paul and who he was. Look at Paul. Look at the way he looks. Look at the way he speaks. Look at the letters that he writes and his tone of voice. And, and who is this guy? Paul just flat out says, stop examining me and start examining yourselves. Stop proving me and testing me and start proving yourselves that you are Christ. That's what he's saying here. This was the Corinthians' problem. They were brilliant, listen to this, they were brilliant analysts of Paul's life, and they didn't know their own life. They're brilliant analysts. They love to just go throughout the body and look at other people and say, hey, I'm comparing myself to you and I see that I'm better than you because maybe I'm not um, in this sin or this sin that I'm in isn't as bad as you or um, I'm better off than you are. And, and we'll, we're going to see, continuing on, that this is, this is their problem, that they were just great and very analytical um, of Paul's life and other people's lives within the church body there. Paul says, examine yourself. And Paul says, as to whether you are in the faith. And he says, test yourselves. We as Christians need to stop analyzing every person's mistakes and comparing ourselves to them and saying that we are better than them. That's got to go. If that's the 
area in our lives, I know for me personally, that can be um, an issue within my life. I think because of pride, really, that's what it is. I'm better than someone else. And so, and so Paul basically saying, hey, don't compare yourself to one another. Examine yourself as to whether you are really in the faith. Test yourselves. Check this out. Romans 3.10 says this. There is none righteous, no, not one. Ephesians 2.1-5 says this. And he, or excuse me, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also... We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. John 21, 21 and 22 says this, when Peter was comparing himself to the apostle John, it says in verse 21, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Peter comparing himself to John as, Peter was speaking direct, uh, as Jesus was speaking directly to Peter. And then Jesus said in verse 22, He said to Peter, If I will that he remain till I come, what is it that to you? You follow me. Jesus was speaking directly to Peter, and he said, Hey, get your eyes off of John and look to me. Listen, guys. We can't be comparing ourselves to other people. That's, that's no good. We need to be looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We don't have time to be looking around at other people and, and comparing and judging. Not only do we not have time, but man, it's just a bummer when you think about that. When you're just comparing yourself to other people or comparing yourself to yourself, especially when that other person is better than you at everything that you do or just is more skilled than you are. Life is a bummer when your eyes are solely fixed upon yourself. Man, fix your eyes upon Jesus. That's the thing that brings joy, and that's the thing that's going to transform your mindset and bring joy and life, really, into your life. And listen, when you do this, when you place your eyes upon Jesus and compare yourself to him, a couple things happen. Notice this with me. First thing, you're humbled. That's the first thing that happens. When you look to Jesus, man, you're humbled. And why in the world why would you be humbled when you look to Jesus? Because you realize, like Paul, that I am the chief of all sinners. And looking to Christ, you realize, man, I'm unworthy. I'm exposed before Christ. I am nothing in comparison to who Jesus is. You realize that you really aren't good enough. Only God is good, and only he can make you righteous and holy. The only one that can make you good is Christ. In and of yourself, by sin, by your sin nature, man, you, you're not good. You're not worthy enough. And the devil will even say that. But in how you combat that is with the word of God and saying, you know what? Yes, I'm not good enough. Yes, I'm not worthy. Yes, I'm not holy. And I can't be righteous in and of my own flesh. But it's Christ working in and through my life that makes me holy and righteous and that makes me good enough in his sight because he is... As the Bible says, I am accepted in him. And when you see your sin in light of Christ, and you see the destruction that your sin has brought, it humbles you, man. It humbles you to the point of where it brings you to the feet of Jesus, and it brings you to your knees. I don't know about you guys, but man, when there's seasons in my life where the realization of my sin is, is greater than at other times, 
And man, when, when those seasons roll around and I'm just in awe of who God is and, and who God is making me to be um, and the opportunities that God allows within my life, I, it makes me just, I'm broken. I'm broken before the Lord because I realize I am unworthy. I don't deserve this. I, I, I don't deserve the, the riches of Christ. As we read in, in um, Ephesians Chapter 2, man, it's, it's talking about, man, God made us alive when we didn't even deserve to be alive in the first place. Because of sin, he took sin upon himself so that I might be alive in him and that I might experience the riches and the blessings that he has for me. It humbles you. That's the first thing. It humbles you. When you're looking to Jesus, it humbles you. It breaks you down and it humbles you. Second thing is, man, you want to serve Jesus with your life. You want to serve Jesus with your life. When you look to Jesus your response then after you're humbled and you're brought to your, your knees really in that situation is, man, I want to serve Jesus. Like Paul, when he got saved in Acts 9, do you remember that? When Paul got saved in Acts 9, you see Jesus and ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? That was Paul's response as he got knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus, as he was going to persecute other Christians, Paul said, Lord, as you see in the Lord, he was blinded by the light, and all he could hear was the voice of Jesus. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Like the prophet Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, he said, Here am I, send me. When you look to Jesus and you get your eyes off of others and off of yourself, you're humbled, but you also, man, you want to serve Jesus because that's the least that you can do for him. That's just the, the worship that is responsible responding back unto Christ. Read Romans 12, 1 and 2. Speaking of, man, that our lives, we, we present our lives as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Holy, to be set apart in that way, offering it upon the, uh, upon the altar as the Lord could just consume it in this, this fire of, of just complete holiness and who he is. Not only am I humbled, when I look to Jesus, but man, I want to serve him with my life. Paul says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. And listen, Paul is not saying to the people that are just getting saved or, or actually walking with the Lord. Could you imagine that? If Paul was saying, hey, check if you're saved. And these, these people just gave their lives to the Lord. They'd be so overwhelmed at this point. Like, am I really saved? Like, you talk to people at times and, and, that, and that's a whole um, situation that goes down, and that's what they're thinking. Um, it's overwhelming, and, or people that are actually walking with the Lord. He's not speaking to those people. He's speaking to those who assume, or presume rather, that they are Christians when they really are not, and there's no fruit in their lives that they are actually walking with Christ. Perhaps they think that the church attendance makes them a Christian. You know, going to church, you know, that, that makes me a Christian. Maybe they think that a generally moral life makes me a Christian. Maybe they were thinking that. And I think, as Paul says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Man, this, this has to be what we do as well. We are very quick also to examine others before we first examine ourselves. Check this out. A man by the name of Alan Redpath. If you don't know who he is, he's, he's an amazing man um, that just was in love with Jesus. And uh, he's written amazing books. And, uh, but basically, he says this. He says, in examining others before yourself, he says this. He says, to examine yourself, in fact, is to submit to the examination and scrutiny of Jesus Christ the Lord 
And this never to fix attention on sin, but on Christ, and to ask him to reveal that uh, which is in you, which grieves his spirit, to ask him to give you grace that it might be put away and cleansed in his precious blood. Self-examination takes the chill away from your soul and makes the hardness uh, away, it takes the hardness away from your heart. It takes the shadows away from your life and it sets the prisoner free. This is what we're to be doing, man, to examine ourselves and ask the Lord. Like David said in the Psalms, he said, Lord, search me and, and, and see if there be any wicked way within me. Just like someone who builds a boat, right? Have you ever seen someone build a boat um, and then goes and, and, and puts this boat into the water? That person has to carefully examine that boat before he sets sail, Right? be pointless if he said it in there, didn't examine it, and then it has a hole in it and it sinks, right? Correct? We'd agree? Okay, cool. Make sure you guys are awake. Um, but after he examines it, he then puts the boat into the water, then again to, to prove that it will stay afloat. That's basically what Paul is saying. And sometimes people are willing to examine themselves, right? But then they are not willing to test and prove themselves. They're not willing to go upon the waters and, and to... to basically set sail. For us as believers, man, we need to be willing not only to examine ourselves, but then we need to be willing to test and approve ourselves. As the Word of God says, man, to, to prove our faith. Paul then says in, the, in uh, the end of verse 5, he says, unless indeed you are disqualified. I thought that was crazy. He said, unless you indeed are disqualified, kind of leaving like the back door open. Paul knew that there were some among the Corinthian Christians who were disqualified for eternal life and salvation. He knew that. He knew the state of the church. And that's a sign of a good shepherd and of a good pastor to know the state of his flock. He knew the state of the people there in Corinth. Their thinking was worldly because they were of this world and not of the Lord. That is a hard truth to confront, really. But... I mean, wouldn't you rather know before it's too late? You think about somebody with cancer, right? If somebody has cancer, and this is growing more and more prevalent within the days that we're living in, where people just have these diseases and have cancer and are dying because of these things. If someone has cancer, wouldn't you, or let's say you have cancer. Make it more personal. If you have cancer, wouldn't you rather know that you have it than just to wait and find out later? Some people say that ignorance is bliss, but I feel like in that situation, man, you, you want to know at that point, man, what's going on within your body so that you can combat it as soon as possible. For Paul, he uses this word disqualified. The word disqualified is the negative of the word test or to prove. The word disqualified basically means unapproved. And one might ask, really, how do I know that I'm disqualified? What, what makes me disqualified? What am I even supposed to look for? And notice it says in that same verse, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? That's what we're to be looking for, guys. To see if Jesus Christ is within us. Don't look for perfection in yourself because that's pretty easy to do, especially when you have your eyes on other people. You're looking to be perfect, right? Don't look for perfection. Don't look for perfection in others. Look to see if there is real evidence of Jesus Christ in you. 
I love when you come across those people too, when you just see Jesus within their lives. Man, Jesus, like, you know, it's so clear. Within the book of Acts, we read there in the first couple chapters that when uh, it was Peter and, um, I forget the other guy's name, the other apostle that was with him, and uh, they came before the Sanhedrin, or basically the religious leaders at that point, and it says that as the Holy Spirit filled them and was speaking through them, that the Pharisees, these religious leaders, could see Christ in them. They knew that the Holy Spirit, they knew that Christ, basically, it says word for word, it says that they knew that they had been with Jesus. And for us, guys, that is the, that's what we're to be looking at. In comparing ourselves to Jesus and how we know whether we're disqualified or not, it's to say, hey, have I been with Jesus? That's the, de- de- the determining factor, rather. A man by the name of Charles Spurgeon says, now what is it to have Jesus Christ in you? And so he basically presents this question, the same question. What is it to have Jesus Christ in you? And he says, this is Charles Spurgeon speaking, he says, the Roman Catholic hangs the cross on his heart. The true Christian carries the cross in his heart. And a cross inside the heart, my friends, is one of the sweetest cures for a cross on the back. If you have a cross in your heart, Christ crucified in you, the hope of all glory, all the crosses of this world's trouble will seem to you light enough that you will easily be able to sustain it. Christ in the heart means that Christ believed in, Christ beloved, Christ trusted, Christ espoused, Christ communed with, Christ as our daily food in ourselves as the temple in the palace in where Jesus Christ daily walks. I thought that was so perfect. (laughs) It's like, hits the nail on the head with that quote, with that saying there. To have Jesus Christ in you, man, is to have Jesus Christ within your heart. And we've talked countless times throughout this study through 2 Corinthians. Man, what what does it mean to have Jesus Christ within you, living within you as a Holy Spirit? But man, then to develop a devotional life with Jesus, to develop a relationship with your heavenly Father. And for us, guys, that has, that's the determining factor. I've noticed, man, some of the sweetest times in my life, personally, have been when I'm at the feet of Jesus, when I don't know really when, when anything else is going, when nothing's going right, when I don't know what's happening, but, man, it drives me to the feet of Jesus. Those are some of the sweetest, most um, cherished times within my life It's just spending time at Jesus' feet, spending time in his word. And that's when I see the most growth within my life. And for us, if you're a Christian, that should be your desire. Hopefully that's the desire of your heart tonight is, man, I want to draw closer to Jesus. I want to to be a powerful Christian, man. I want to have the Holy Spirit just completely transform my life from walking in darkness into life. That should be our heart. Paul says, test yourselves. Examine yourselves to see if Christ is in you. And then he says in verse 6, But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Paul says, I think you already know that I am not disqualified, that you know that I am a Christian. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, Now I pray to God that you do no evil, that we should uh, appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. And Paul admits that, he may seem disqualified. And what's the reason, or why would he seem disqualified? If someone, like the Corinthian Christians here, if they're judging the genuine Christian life by worldly standards, then you might as well say that Paul is disqualified. If you're judging 
with a worldly mindset, judging Paul and seeing who he is, saying, this guy, this guy isn't good enough. When we talked about a couple weeks ago, his appearance, man, the guy had a, a hooked nose. He was short and uh, some think he was stubby and, and just like, he didn't look very attractive, really. Paul, Paul, from a worldly standpoint, this guy wasn't qualified to be in this position that he was in at all or to have any sort of leadership. Even the way that he spoke, some people say that he spoke softer and that it was kind of hard to understand. But man, judging from a worldly standpoint, this would be the case. It's by these same standards that Job's friends, you remember in the book of Job, his friends came to him and they were convinced that the hardships were, um, that he faced were all a result of sin in Job's life. But one could say, or only say that by worldly standards. That's the only way that one can say that. And so for Paul, he's saying that, hey, if, if you're looking at my life with worldly eyes, that's going to be the case. Of course, it's going to seem like I'm disqualified. Of course. Um, man, when the world looks at your life and, and says, man, who are you? Man, you're not qualified to do this. When the enemy looks at your life and says, man, who you are? He brings in condemnation and says, who are you? You know, you're not qualified to be teaching the word of God in front of these, this group of people. You're not qualified to be, uh, you know, an influence in your school. You're not called to, you know, bring uh, your family back together. Who are you? Who do you think you are? And so the devil will come and bring condemnation in this way. And so Paul is saying, as the world looks into your life, man, that's worldly standards. But Jesus, if we use the eyes that God has given us by the power of the Holy Spirit in seeing someone out of the love of Christ, someone that has been covered by the blood of Jesus, then it's going to completely transform our thinking and seeing other people. And Paul says, continuing on and finishing up, guys, in verse 8, he says, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be complete. Therefore, I write these things, being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Look at Paul's heart. Man, he wants to build them up. The, the word edification basically just means to build up. That's his heart for them. He wants to build them up and not to destroy them, not for destruction, he says. He wants them to be basically, and it says there even in verse 9, it says, in this also we pray that you may be made complete. That was Paul's heart as a loving father to these Corinthian Christians. His kids really is what he considers them to be. He says, I want you to be fully complete. Paul wanted to build up the Corinthian Christians to make them complete. What's interesting to note though, is that the Corinthian Christians were very strong in some areas of their walk. They were strong in a lot of areas. Paul says um, within the book of 2 Corinthians, even in 1 Corinthians, that they were abounding in spiritual gifts and even in personal testimonies. They were very strong in these areas. The problem, though, was that their strength was not complete. The Corinthians, they were basically like a building, if we could put it into um, a word picture of some sort. They were basically like a building, and it had its foundation, right? As Paul came and planted the church there, gave them a foundation, gave them the word of God, and had maybe one or two walls that were, that were put up, but the other two were just rubble in that sense. They weren't complete. Paul is saying that he wants them to be complete, complete in, in who God has called them to be as a church, as individuals within that body. And just think for a second, though. If the Corinthian Christians would just examine themselves— repent, and then would start correcting the areas in which they have wronged. Paul, when he comes to them, could have sweet fellowship with them. If they would have just repented and, and turned, 
if they would do that, man, they would have some of the coolest times that they possibly could with the Apostle Paul. Instead of Paul bringing down this hammer, really, and having to rebuke them because of their sin, if they would just repent and act upon what Paul is saying to them, then they could just go deeper and deeper and deeper into the things of the Lord and all that God has called them to be. And did you know that this is the same way in our lives today? If we would just repent and correct where we have wronged God, where we have wronged God, God could do a radical work in our lives. If we would just repent, man. Listen, God can't begin to do work in your life unless you are humble. Like we said earlier, when I see Jesus, man, it causes me to be humble. God cannot begin to do a a work in our lives unless we are humble. As someone has once said, brokenness precedes usefulness. I like that. You have to be humble, man. You got to be broken before the Lord. If you want to be used before Jesus, and hopefully that's your desire tonight, if you call yourself a Christian, you have to be humble. Also, God cannot fully bless, and this is something so key, guys. And if if you don't, really hear anything tonight, listen to this. Also, God can't fully bless you if there is sin in your life. Did you know that? God can't fully bless you. God, in the same respect too, God can't have fellowship with you and your sin. If there is sin in your life, yes, he will love you. Yes, he will pour out his grace and and his mercy upon you. That's, that's a promise. That's in his character. And God can't go against his word. He can't go against his character. That's who he is. God is love, the Bible says. But you hinder the full amount of blessings that could be poured out upon your life. God wants to bless you, man. He loves you guys. He loves us. Ephesians 3.20 says this, <clears throat> Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. Speaking of all that God wants to do in our lives. But the Bible also says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16, we went over it a couple weeks ago. It says, For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Because for the, you are the temple of the living God. If you want to be complete and to enjoy all the blessings that God has for your life, repent and enjoy unrestrained, unhindered fellowship and blessings from Jesus and with Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line, guys. Sin, man, it it hinders. Not only does it hinder your personal relationships, horizontally speaking, but man, it hinders your personal relationship, vertically speaking, with Jesus. And that's the most important, man. If if everything is aligned with the Lord, if, if you're in right standing with God and you're seeking to be blameless before God, yes, we're sinners. Yes, we're going to be found, um, at fault with God because, hey, we've missed the mark. We've, we've, by our sin nature, that, that's what we've been born into. But for us as believers, we're seeking to be more and more holy, to be more and more set apart unto Jesus, to be more and more like Christ. God wants to bless you guys. He loves you. 
but he can't do that if there's sin in the way. If you want to be complete and enjoy all the blessings that God has for you, man, repent. If that's a word for somebody tonight, man, do it. <laughs> repent and, 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 and seek and, and, and just, just wait as the Lord just pours out blessing upon you. He does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. But God can't work with pride. He can't work with um, sin. Verses 11 and 14, in closing, Paul says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. That word farewell there, it means rejoice. Paul says, Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be complete. And I want you to notice there's five things that Paul points out in, the, in this verse here. It says that, he says, rejoice, be complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace. And I think it's very interesting that Paul puts it in that order. He says, rejoice, be complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, and live in peace. Man, if you're, if you're rejoicing in the Lord and who he's called you to be, if you're complete in who Christ has made you, if you know Jesus, you're going to be of good comfort, then you're going to be of one mind, you're going to be in unity with other people, therefore you can live in peace. And only Christ can do that. And then he says in verse 12 through 14, greet one another with a holy kiss. Interesting phrase. All the saints greet you. The grace of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ be, uh, and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. I love how Paul closes this. He, he says, man, let us be in unity together. Let us live in peace. Greet each other, man. Um, be in unity with one another, one another. All the saints, he says, greet, are greeting you from all these other places. And then in verse 14, I love this and how he ends this. Don't miss this. It says, the grace of the, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, almost finished, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Notice he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is so key. Realize, guys, that you are under the grace of Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. And it says that, and under the love of God. Not only does God, want, he, he, he wants to bless you and he loves you, but man, he's just, he's going to pour out grace upon you. He's going to show you his grace as you spend time in his word. You spend time in fellowship with other people that are like-minded, that are just pouring into you the word of God, that are keeping you accountable. Man, the grace of God is going to shine through every area of your life. And not only the grace of God but a part of the grace of God is the, is the love of God. And not only the love of God, but the communion of the Holy Spirit. He says, be with you all. I love how he says that. So for us tonight, guys, Andrew, how are we doing on time? Solid? Okay. For us tonight, if you walk away with anything, man, realize that Jesus loves you um, and that there's grace but man, if there's unrepentant sin in your life, man, turn from it. Why? So that you can experience all the blessings that God has for you. And then he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where the power is found, guys, within the Holy Spirit. Not only in the grace of Jesus Christ, which is God riches at Christ's expense, realizing that Jesus came for me, he died, that he loves me, but then being filled and walking in the newness of life, walking as a new creation of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And for us, guys, that's, that's got to be the case. And if, if you want to live a powerful life, and hopefully, hopefully that's the case for you guys, 
man, I, I want to be a powerful Christian, you know? Anything, anything that you do, right? If you do sports, man, you don't want to be half-hearted in the things that you do, right? If you want to be uh, a good athlete, you know? It's like, man, you give it 110%. If you want to be the very best that you can possibly be, man, you give it 110%, right? And then let the Lord do the rest within your life. Same thing goes, man, with the Christian life. Paul even said that as well. He said, he used um, a lot of analogies concerning, um, a lot of sports analogies. He said, man, like a runner that runs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run to win. I'm not running for second place, man. Second place is the first loser. <laughs> I, I want to be the first one there, the first one across the finish line. For us as Christians, man, that's, that's got to be the heart. That's got to be the passion behind our lives, man, is, is to be all that we can possibly be for Christ. And so tonight, I want to pray for you guys and ask, and not only for you guys, but for myself. <laughs> Lord, I, I want this for my life. I want to be all that you've created me to be. I want to be a good soldier, as Paul says, of Christ. I want to be a good runner <laughs> for Christ. I want to be an athlete that's running to win the race. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you guys, and we'll have the worship team come back up, and we'll close in a song. Lord, thank you for your grace, God. <laughs> thank you for your love for us, Jesus. Lord, we are just so in awe of who you are, God. Lord, each week, man, just coming back to the realization, God, of, of Lord, we are unworthy sinners. Lord, Paul considered himself to be the chief of sinners, as we read tonight. But Lord, we in realizing that, Lord, just with open hearts, Lord, and open hands, God, we just ask, Lord, we, we repent, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us, God, Lord, as David said, as Lord, if there be any wicked way, Lord, cleanse us, Lord, as as Paul said, God, Lord, that Lord, in, in realizing that our lives, our, our hearts is the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, where Christ decides to reside within our life. God, what a privilege that we have. Lord, that you would come and dwell within this, this sinful body. Lord, we love you, God. We thank you for your grace, Lord. Lord, it's only by the cross, by, by the blood of Jesus that we are saved. And God, so we repent tonight. But Lord, we, we thank you that there is power that is found within your Holy Spirit. There is power that is found uh, within the blood of Christ, within the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, with the hope of heaven, God. That is our hope, God, that we can be made more and more like you, God, that you give us power to become more and more like you. Yes, God, we're going to stumble. Yes, God, we're going to fail. Lord, but you are worthy, Lord, and you make us more like yourself, Lord, if we would just repent, Lord, and you just pour out and pour out exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Lord, and so we want that tonight, God. We want the blessings, Lord. We want to be powerful, effective Christians, Lord, in this day and age. Lord, we love you. Lord, that's our heart's cry, God. We thank you for this time. We love you, God. We worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.